I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. You probably anticipated that this morning. Luke chapter 2. Be reading some familiar verses from the birth narrative of Jesus. Familiar, but I trust all the more beautiful every time we get to read and meditate on these precious words. We're focusing in this Advent season on the songs leading up to the birth of Jesus, the songs surrounding uh, His birth that we find in, in both chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Luke. Uh, we've seen, seen God's mercy uh, to Mary. We have seen uh, God's mercy to the priest, Zechariah, uh, all just singing of the Lord's faithfulness, uh, this announcement that is uh, to come. Uh, this is good news, uh, good news that uh, of great joy that really demands a response. You think, well, it's good news to who? Good news to Mary? Good news to shepherds? Um, good news to the Jews? Um, it's really good news for all. Um, all people on whom the Lord has poured out uh, His good purpose. So there's only one fitting response to that, and we have um, an example of that this morning. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. Going through verse 14. Maybe go through verse 15 here. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do praise You for Your Word. We pray that You would work mightily through Your Word now, that we'd be attentive, that You would help us in our understanding, in our application of this Word, Pray, Lord, that you would speak faithfully uh, through your servant in these moments. Incline our hearts to you, that we too would respond uh, with praise. We offer this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a documentary at our house called Life. And in this uh, documentary, um, there are ten chapters that talk about really how you know, these animals survive and thrive uh, in different places. And it's just remarkable photography and, and video of insects and exotic birds and um, bears and hippos and all these things that they can get so close to. Uh, it's just fascinating. But one of these chapters is entitled Creatures of the Deep. And... You know, so they get up close and personal to you know, the, the whales and the sharks and the giant squid and things like that. When you think of how much ocean there is uh, in this world, there's a lot of very uh, 
uh, it, it's deep and ominous and a lot that we don't know. And um, there are things in the ocean that make us look rather small and snack-like. And so when you, when you think about this and we're watching this chapter, it, uh, you know, it can generate a little fear. Um, even more so if you're confronted with uh, creatures like this um, in the ocean. And I was thinking how you know, the, the genuine fear that comes when God breaks into history uh, and makes an announcement like this. When those who, who minister in his presence, when the angels show up, they typically need to diffuse the situation in short order. And so when, you know, you know, when, when light enters the darkness, where does the darkness go? It flees, it runs, it has to. So when angels of God appear to human beings, all of our sin, all of our imperfection that's now exposed, it generates some fear, like we've been tossed into the, into the middle of the ocean with things bigger and greater than we can imagine, and we're vulnerable. So the shepherds in the area surrounding Bethlehem, they know this. And so it's important for us to to see the, the appearance of the angels to the shepherds, to see both the fear and the favor that's expressed here. Um, with this announcement, the song that's going to just ring around the hills of Bethlehem, uh, there is both fear and great favor. Um, think of how Mary responded. She's greatly troubled at the appearance of the angel Gabriel. Um, he makes that announcement that she's going to carry the, the Son of God so appropriately, Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Mary. And even before uh, that, Gabriel shows up in, in the temple and meets Zechariah there, uh, burning incense. And as we might expect, fear fell upon him. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. The first words out of Gabriel's mouth. Um, so now in chapter 2, we have another appearing. We're not told if it's Gabriel this time. This angel never disclosed who he was, or Luke didn't seem fit to include that information. But can you imagine this angel being selected to make this message? Um, what a privilege to make this appearing. And then the, the glory of the Lord surrounded him, all the hosts of heaven that are somehow peering in on this event, whatever dimension God has created. See what will happen. Uh, you, you think that would be a little spooky, for every day, run of the mill, nobody wants to talk to him anyway, shepherds. Yeah, this would be terrifying. They're exposed. Here, they, here their bodies are exposed to the glory of the Lord. It just pierces right to their hearts. Um, nowhere to run, no excuses can be made at this point. Uh, God had shown up and it was terrifying. Thankfully, that's not where, you know, not where the shepherds are left. There's another word that that follows, that they long to hear, fear not. So what we see happening here, these first, first few chapters of Luke, the appearance of the angels, um, is this, this gripping fear. And I think it's a fear that we have um, all but removed, or at least tried to, tried to remove from the story of the incarnation. When God breaks in, 
when he appears, there should be a genuine fear. Okay, when all perfection and holiness and righteousness draws near to what is imperfect, darkened by sin, there's fear. Have you ever considered that? Where the fright has gone out of Christmas? We're not, we're not talking about the, the nightmare before Christmas, although if you really ponder that, it might be more true than what we think. Or the Grinch that stole Christmas, you're a mean one. I mean, that's, that's scary stuff, but not this. The fear is that the Lord God, the judge of heaven and earth, or those that represent him, has appeared. He's appeared for a purpose, for a reason, and the reason isn't pretty. We're in a desperate state. We've you know, mentioned this last week. If he does not visit us, if he does not redeem his people, then we're in big trouble, like eternal trouble. Our sin is exposed. There's nowhere to run. There's no man that can stand before the living God. So even in the incarnation, God taking on flesh in the form of a little infant child, that should get our attention, generate a healthy fear. So I realize even in saying this, it doesn't sound very happy and Christmas-like. Um, you know, the coming of Jesus is, is joyful. Um, it's time to celebrate. And that, that's where we're going because you know, the, the angels say more than just fear not. But a major issue, I think, before the church, before every man, woman, and child, the world over, is that we have removed the frightful news of the incarnation. Um, that there is a God with whom we have to do a God to whom we are accountable with every thought, every inclination of our heart, every word, every action. Paul writes in Romans 3, he's quoting the psalmist, that in sin there is no fear of God before their eyes. Before our eyes. Let's look in the mirror here first. Do we understand our condition? Do we understand our need for a holy God? but we don't seem to care as long as we're nice. We don't seem to care as long as we're comfortable. We don't seem to, to care as long as we're safe. So we, we push out, we, we, we drown out, try to run from the frightening reality that the light is shining, that God has come near. Think about that this, more, this morning considering the message that we shared in the last couple of evenings. Um, God does not leave himself without witness. We have, we have shared the living and active word of God. And each night, Catherine asked that question when she read, do you believe this? I mean, every person with window open driving by, every person sitting and listening will have to, to do business with the living God at some point. Now is the time to do this, the time of God's patience and favor. Now is the day of salvation. Someday they will need to respond to that very word they've heard of Christ's coming. Think of the, the time that we live in and the, the fear that we live in. Terrorist attacks, mass shootings, a lot of people just living in fear of where you know, the next gunshots will be fired? What city will it be in? Um, I can remember a statement from President Obama 
He was referring to, to large-scale attacks by, by al-Qaeda and then smaller, uh, sort of less complicated attacks by what he called radicalized individuals. I thought that was kind of interesting. What, what constitutes a radicalized individual? It's okay, you know, someone has a worldview, they believe something, and then they believe it strongly enough to act upon it. Even, even when it means you know, ending their own life or the lives of others. Again, that, that may not be an ideology that we embrace, and I pray that it's not. But consider this. Do, do we believe something I mean, strong enough that we're willing to act? And if so, does that make us radicalized individuals? Um, there's, there's implications to this, to that language. Um, but the reality is, and speaking generally here, very few seem to, to really know what it is they believe and are willing to act upon it. We say, you know, believe what you want to believe, believe what works for you, but don't believe so much that it really starts to shape your behavior, or you start acting upon it, or your belief starts you know, offending someone else's belief, and yet we're so very fearful. We're afraid of, of losing our comfort and our lifestyle and our safety and and all of our, our, our autonomy and this imagined right not to be offended. There's a battle going on here. Much, much deeper. It's far greater, far greater consequences. What the media will ever share, what a president could ever share. Battles here, in our heart, not before men, but before God. Is there a healthy fear of God and the judgment we face that leads to action. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That, that is a healthy fear. And it's a fear that God has done something about by placing his son in a manger with a mission. No fear of God before their eyes, no, no fear of his just judgment, and there's no need for a manger. There's no need for a savior, there's no need for Christmas. It's the pastor, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He makes a good conversation partner in this thought. He says, only when we have felt the frightfulness of the matter can we know the incomparable favor. We're not left with fear. So fear not, the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy. It's good news and fills us with joy because God has done something about our very real fear. When we begin to see that the depth of our need, there's that healthy fear, we respond in faith. We respond in praise to God's favor. And so when we come to God through faith, it begins to drive away fear, fear of our circumstances, fear of others, fear of the future, fear of, of losing what it is we love. This doesn't happen all at once. But if our greatest love is Christ, 
Our lives are, are hidden with him. And that, that grace and the favor of God, it just, it pours over our fears. We lift our heads in praise. So now when Paul says, work out this salvation, this favor of God with fear and trembling, it's not the fear of eternal punishment or the fear of losing you know, what's been given to us in Christ. This is now a love for him. It's a service to him. It's showing that our faith is, in fact, real and genuine. Think, well, how do we do this? How do we do it in this season? I was thinking of a, one of the songs in a VeggieTales film uh, in regards to this. And it says, you know, give, we give Christmas away. Give this Christmas away. Uh, lots of, of ways that we can do that. Big ways, small ways that we can serve. We love because we have been loved. And it's something to think about around the lunch table today in this season. What are ways that we can, can serve and show others the love of Christ? Work out this salvation out of love for the one who has driven away all our fears. That's good news. That's, that's the gospel message. And when we think of that, that word gospel, it means good news. Um, it's used 11 times in the actual Gospels, and 10 of those 11 are here in Luke. Christ has come for his people. He's come for, for all those who are his, from eternity past, present, future. Okay? And he's still Christ the Lord as a baby lying in a manger. Imagine that. It's still, he's still the creator. He is still governing and upholding all of his creation as he lays there and wiggles and cries and does the other things that babies do. As he lays entirely dependent upon his young mama for food, he is her creator, her savior. And what an announcement, what a window into the humility and glory of God. Now the angel is joined by, by everyone else looking in. Uh, they've been present all along, but now they, they appear. Um, think of how, how the other songs that we have looked at um, are kind of, we'll say that they're, they're earthly. They start from a human, human beings and they're offered up to God. But this, this song is heavenly. It starts from, from above and comes to us uh, by the angelic host. Um, just hard for us to picture here. You know, most of our images surrounding the Advent Sea, surrounding the Nativity, are of one uh, angel that appears. Uh, but certainly this room could not contain the number of angels, the hosts glorifying God at this news. Um, glorifying God in the highest places. You can't have a greater or higher glory than this. The glory of God and all of his holiness and justice and mercy. And love is on display in this child. And even as he, as he grows, he's going to be unrecognized, he's going to be despised, he's going to be rejected. God's glory remains in him. In all the land there is peace toward or among men of his good pleasure. So this is God's purpose and intention for those that he has predestined as his adopted children. We find similar language here in Ephesians 1. We are his according to the kind intention and purpose of his will. 
And again, we read in Matthew 11 that this was the pleasure and gracious will of the Father to hide the kingdom from some, reveal it to others. So God's pleasure is on display here. His sovereignty is on display. He pours out his favor upon his chosen, upon all peoples without exclusion. That's his good will. This favor belongs to God. It's given to men. He's divinely chosen Mary, divinely chosen these shepherds. He must initiate by his grace. He, he chooses. They respond in faith. They respond in praise and glory to God. They're given every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is his favor. So glory to God in the highest for his grace. Glory to God in the highest for the peace that he gives. The angels model this, the right response to this news. In Hebrews chapter 1, the author is speaking of the glory and supremacy of Christ and says this, let all God's angels worship him. So they're worshiping him in heaven, here we're worshiping him on the earth. That's their role. So motivated by fear, excitement, the shepherds then waste no time in proclaiming this news. So we too respond by glorifying, praising God, and going with such a profound message. So how does this announcement stir your own heart to give glory to God? What does that look like for us? We've shown it in a small way to our community these last couple of days. At the very least, it's singing of God's glory. You know, there's nothing controversial in the Bible about the command to sing. It's not a choice. It doesn't matter if we feel like it or not, or if we can put two notes together. We're commanded, compelled to offer our voices in praise and glory to God. Maybe here each Sunday morning, and maybe small group standing out by the road, maybe around your kitchen table, on the car. Let the gratitude of your heart spring forth in song. Songwriter Keith Getty mentioned several other reasons why singing, and, and particularly group singing among the people of God, is so important. It unites us. It completes the joy that we have in Jesus. We want to share that, that goodness and, and the peace of God, but that, that needs to be shared with me and, and with you, by, one, by each other. It's for us. He's rescued you and me for the whole. So our new identity now is in the body, in the church. So there's a, a solidarity and celebration when we sing. I mentioned a few weeks ago, just at the start of this series, how music impacts us, how it shapes our emotions, shapes the way we think and feel. It has a, a tremendous influence on our memories. Getty goes on to say that we are what we sing. Probably put a lot of things in that place, but we are what we sing. The songs you know, those songs that are ingrained in your minds, you're going to carry those with you for a lifetime. When I sit down at my grandfather's bedside, um, he doesn't really know who I am. He's not responding with any uh, clarity of thought and sentences. But when we start to sing, he will often join us. 
those classic hymns of the faith are still there. He'll still sing them. So when we sing, how we sing, the, how passionately we sing, all bears witness to those who are watching, to those who are listening. Do we show the joy of those who have been rescued from fear? Do we show that? How can we, how can we not sing for the life we've been given in Jesus? Now here's where you may be saying, you may be thinking, well, Brad, I'm really struggling. Our family is struggling. We've been wrestling with illness, doing you know, battle with long-time illness. There's strife in our family, tension. Um, the, the light just doesn't seem very bright in a season of darkness. I feel, I feel isolated. I feel alone. Maybe it's old sin patterns that are rearing their ugly head again. You think you've made a step forward and then... You know, something happens, and, and again, you get this realization of just how weak you are in your sin. So friend, brother, sister, let the love of God in Christ sing to you. Hear it afresh. Let the church sing to you. Be, be with us, be in our, in our midst, that you would hear the love and mercy of our God that you would know his peace. And maybe you need to bury some pride and some independence and reach out to those who know you well. Say, I need some help getting this done at the house or I need some help with travel. I need someone to just sit and listen. Think how, how great the Spirit's work is you know, through his people. When we come to that place when our hearts again can sing. So we glory in the coming of our Savior. We must, we must go in faithful proclamation. When we live in, in such fearful times, people need to hear this. They need to hear the good news of great joy. They need to hear that, that Christ, the true peace of the heart, has come. Without that peace, there can be no other true peace. Colossians 1. Paul says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Is that your peace? Is that the peace you know this morning? Is that the peace you desire for your family members, friends? I know it's going to be risky. Tell them again of this peace that is yours in Jesus. Sing it to them, with them. Let the peace and, and favor of God uh, just, just flow in this humble proclamation. Again, I've shared some experiences of time in Africa, and this one again came to my mind as I was thinking about just natural proclamation and what we are compelled to share as God's people. Returning to the airport, getting ready to fly home, we had stopped, and there was a gentleman there who really wanted to sell us some things before we left. And he was persistent, and our host pastor, deeply humble, godly man, he sort of squeezed his way between this man, the two or three of us that were standing there, and he was very serious. And he just began to talk to this gentleman in Amharic, and I, I could tell 
from his body language and sort of the disgusted body language of the one he was talking to that he wasn't going to get any business. But he ended up, he kind of turned to us and he said, I've told this man that you did not come to buy things, but you came to give something. And he had basically shared a very, very short, the whole thing lasts about 30 seconds, but just shared with him why we were there and a simple gospel message. So considering how to, it was just, it was just a part of, of this man's life with so many people around him all the time. How do we share God's love and the good news and just our everyday interactions? I think it's hard. It's getting harder, you know, in a time when the, when the Christian consensus is, is largely gone. I think so often it's just a greater fear of other people than a fear of God. That's what keeps us silent. I think of Peter and John, early church, they're going, they're speaking boldly for God's grace, or of God's grace. Um, they say, repent, therefore, and, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The light of Christ has come and is shining in the darkness. Okay, when the fear, fear is real, the favor is so very real. God has come. The Savior has arrived and we get to give him glory he's made a way the only way for those who live in fear to be at peace with him and with one another so that is that is a message that is a proclamation the hope is on our hearts as well as on our lips not just this season but all year through let's pray together lord we do pray that this message of your coming would be in our hearts and on our lips in this season. Lord, we praise your name. We give you the glory and the praise that you alone are worthy of. And we do this so imperfectly, so inconsistently. Remind us anew this day of the peace that we have in Jesus a peace that comes by your grace, by your mercy to us. Oh, what love, what wondrous love you have shown us. And we're grateful that we could share that in a small way over this weekend. And we're grateful for the hours and the days that yet remain for us. As long as it is called today, we will proclaim your name, that you have come to drive out fear, Give us peace now and forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.